From the campus of Stanford University and on location, this is the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast featuring in-depth one-on-one interviews with purpose-driven entrepreneurs and high-performance game changers committed to extraordinary ideas, preeminence, and multi-generational success. Our radio show and podcast illuminates the struggles, breakthroughs, and exceptional outcomes these game changers bring to industries, organizations, and lives. Hosted by Tom Dioro, principal of Podfather Media. Thank you, Tatum. For our guest today, uh, let's welcome Michelle Siler Tucker, founder and CEO of Siler Tucker Incorporated. Michelle holds a, uh, I love this, M and AMI Mergers and Acquisition Masters Intermediate title, and as a 20-year veteran in the M&A industry, she has a wealth of experience regarding buying, selling, fixing, and growing businesses. Her and her firm have sold over a thousand, one thousand businesses in almost every vertical, and have a remarkable track record of success. In addition to being featured in Incorporated Magazine, Forbes, and USA Magazine, Michelle is a keynote speaker and makes regular radio, and television appearances on Fox Business News and CNBC. For more information, feel free to visit the website at SeilerTucker.com. That's S-E-I-L-E-R-Tucker.com. Hello, Michelle, and welcome to your show today. Thank you very much for being here. We're really honored and fired up. Hello, Tom. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Michelle, we'd like to start our show off with a, a quote. Do you, if you have a quote or a mantra or a prayer or an axiom that guides you, it doesn't have to necessarily guide your entire life, but at least a, a part of your life that really matters to you personally and professionally. Gosh, there's so many quotes I use. One of, you know, I, it's funny because I drive my daughter, I have a 10-year-old daughter, and I drive my daughter to school every day, and I have her repeat three things every single day. I am brilliant. <laughs> I am grateful. I am blessed and I am loved. Actually, four things. I repeat those. She repeats those every day. We always start our day off with gratitude. We always end our day with gratitude. How and why does that matter so much to you, that, that gratitude? I, th- I think it's just so important for my soul <laughs> to give thanks you know, for everything that I have and and everything that I've been blessed with and everything, you know, all everything that I've been blessed with. And, you know, there's so many little things that we all should be thankful for that I feel like people just stress out. People, you know, sweat the small stuff so much. I mean, there's just so many things that all of us should be grateful for that we should give thanks on a daily basis. And I think, you know, I think that's the best way to start your day it's the best way for me to start my day. It's the best way for that I'm trying to imprint that on my daughter, that that's the best way for her to start her day as well, is to have gratitude. I love it. I do. There's a lo- so much of what you're doing that uh, I like a lot, Michelle. And we'll go to the book, your book, um, Exit Rich. Sure. That title is extremely catchy. And I think you can put it, if it was even in a, a child section or novel or romance, it would still capture my attention. So how, how uh, did you come up with the title and share with us the book itself? So I have a publishing company and, you know, they came up with a round of different titles and I didn't like them. Then they came up with another round and I didn't like them. And I think on round three, they came up with a title about Exit on Top. I'm like, Exit on Top? How about Exit Rich? And they're like, oh, yeah, that's a good title. 
And I go, okay, give me back my money for that portion of your agreement. <laughs> so that's really how I came up with it. It was just like process of elimination, looking at all the titles they came up with. And I'm like, why exit on top? Exit rich. And they loved it. It was my idea, though. <laughs> so it was just out of a brainstorming session. And, you know, it really is what most business owners want to do, but never plan their exit. So therefore, they end up exiting poor instead of exiting rich, which is very sad, you know, because there's so many business owners that poured their heart, their soul, their, their money and made huge sacrifices along the way to grow their businesses. And many of them will end up closing their business. When I wrote my first book, Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth in 2013, I did the research and learned that 95% of all startups will go out of business. So one to five years, we're at great risk. But guess what? When I wrote Exit Rich, I found, I learned that the business landscape has flip-flopped. Now it's only 30% of startups will go out of business. Out of 27.6 million companies, those businesses that have been in business for 10 years or longer, 70% of those companies will go out of business. 70%. You hear about the big public stores all the time, like Toys R Us was in business for 70 years, went out of business, Kmart, Steinmart, you know, uh, Godiva Chocolate is closing down 1,500 locations. GNC is closing down 900 locations. But you don't hear about the private businesses on every street corner in every town and every state. These business owners are, you know, dropping like flies. They're selling for pennies on a dollar, closing their business, or even worse, having to file bankruptcy. And that's, you know, one of the biggest reasons that I really wrote Exit Rich because Exit Rich is all about building a sustainable, scalable business. So when you are ready to exit, you can exit rich and not exit poor. Is it, uh, as we talked about earlier, a sense of reverse engineering your business and that you, your approach is to sell it even if it isn't? And how do you prepare it just like you would a home to sell your home, make sure all the plumbing's right, the sewage, the paint, it looks nice, it's got, everything looks nice because you're ready to sell it. I don't know if that's an appropriate analogy. Yeah, well, you know, I, that's appropriate for a home. <laughs> and, yeah. and it is appropriate for certain aspects in a business because a lot of times when you show the business, you want the business to look great, you want the outside, you know, to look good, you want to make sure that the signage is, is um, visible, you know, make sure everything's clean. So yes, you definitely want to stage the business, but there are so many other things that take precedence over that. There's a whole chapter in my book about staging your business for sale, just like staging your home. But what you really want to do is plan what I call your GPS exit model from the beginning of starting your business or buying a business. Start with the end in mind. Business owners don't do that. They don't think about selling until a catastrophic event has occurred, whether that, rather that's internal or external. You know, they call me up when they say, oh, we, I got health issues or, you know, somebody died or partner disputes or divorce or COVID. That's the worst time to sell your business because your business is typically not doing well during a catastrophic event. The best time to sell is when your numbers are up and your business is doing well. When your business is in your prime and it's prime, that's when you should sell. So I walk my, through, my clients through what I call an, the STGPS exit model to plan their plan from the beginning, to plan their exit from the beginning. Where did you get this sort of inspiration and passion for businesses and the ability to sell and, and acquire businesses, merge and acquire? I'm curious, is that, how did this strike you? Was it, were you a child? <laughs> um, it, it fascinates me. I mean, I didn't wake up one day and say, oh, I'm going to sell businesses. <laughs> but um, I, um, as a child, though, I wasn't your normal child. I didn't play with toys. I didn't play with dolls. 
I would write, write around, I would walk around with a notebook and a pen and I would walk up to strangers and ask them a bunch of questions <laughs> and write it down. And then I would write little short stories about what they told me. So I was always inquisitive. I was always a people person. I always wanted to know about their problems. I was always a problem solver. I've always been solution oriented and I was always an entrepreneur. And so I've owned many different businesses. I did go to work for corporate America for a short period of time, uh, Xerox, a small company called Xerox and advanced very quickly, but I missed entrepreneurship. So I went into, I left Xerox, went into franchise sales, franchise development, franchise consulting. And then I transitioned into selling companies, selling first small businesses, but then transitioned selling companies, $10 million and up. And then very quickly I learned that 80% of businesses won't sell according to Steve Forbes. So I need to fix them and grow them. So that's why I specialize in buying, selling, fixing, and growing. So I partner with business owners. I invest my money, my time, my energy, my effort to put them on a build to sell plan, or I buy businesses and flip them, or I sell them. I like that build to sell. And is that the approach with virtually any business? Is there is there almost no exception to at least with that approach? Build to sell is is for any industry. It's it's for any industry. The steps are the same. The GPS exit model is the same. The six P's that I'll talk about building your infrastructure on are the same no matter what the industry is. Can you go into the six P's? Sure, I'd be happy to. I love my six P's. (laughs) (laughs) So number one is is people. You don't build a business, you build people and people build the business. So, so many businesses are not sellable, Tom, because the business is dependent upon that owner. And when I take that owner out of the business, there is no business. Dental practice, chiropractic practice, attorney's office, you know, even larger businesses where the business owner has all the IP in his head and hasn't documented everything. So you have to have the right people in the right seats. And Tom, you have to ask the who question. Who deals with clients? Who deals with marketing? Who deals with legal? Who deals with accounting? Who deals with environmental? Who deals with manufacturing, logistics, transportation? I mean, the list goes on and on. The clue, Tom, is never put you next to the who. Because you want to build a business that runs without you. And if you're trying to sell a company for, you know, 5 million, 10 million, 20 million and up, you better have a level of management because buyers want to make sure there's a strong management team in place with employment contracts, non-compete. So people's huge. You're listening to the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and podcast on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Michelle Seiler Tucker, founder and CEO of Seiler Tucker Incorporated. For more information, feel free to visit SeilerTucker.com. Michelle, as we were uh, on the uh, the second P, I believe. Yes. The, the second P, the people and the, the, Yep, first P is people, second P is product. So product is huge. Product is your industry. You have to ask, is your product, is your industry thriving or dying? So on the way up, on the way out. Do you have an Amazon or do you have a Blockbuster? <laughs> And if you have a blockbuster like many industries do, right, many business owners do right now because of COVID, then that's not the time to quit. That's the time to really align yourself with the expert and ask some transformational questions, you know, and pivot. So Amazon did this back in the 90s. Amazon, there's three questions I always take my clients through. Number one, I always ask them, what business are you in? Amazon did this. What business are we in? They said, we're in a book selling business. We sell books. Number two. What do we do really, really well? They said, well, we do fulfillment well. We do it better than anybody. So what business should we be in? Number three, they said, we should be in the fulfillment business. 
Those three transformational questions took Amazon from a small bookseller and transformed them into a multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate. And that's where every business owner should look at their business and ask themselves, what business are we in? What do we do really well? What should we transition into? Make sense? Yes. Why isn't this not common knowledge, at least in the, in the business world? Why is what? exactly that's why I need to be speaking at all these universities yeah. <laughs> because it's not common knowledge, and a lot of business owners don't think about this stuff, you know, and it's not taught in a university, right? No, I don't, I don't know if you can get your uh, degree in mergers and acquisitions or uh, no, really don't, but yet that's what you may end up doing. There's the 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 the, the front. it's just not taught, and I just think that there's just such a different mindset of those who are running universities and those who are running companies. There just, is a different mindset. Yep. Totally. And I don't know when or if they uh, will ever, you know, shift or at least have come to an understanding with each other, uh, which is why I say, yeah, why aren't you at university? Why isn't someone doing it? You have a, do you have workshops that you're probably ready if someone wanted a degree? I'm ready. You, you, yeah. Okay. I have workshops. I have five day training classes. I have online stuff. I'm ready. <laughs> Say when. What, what age do you think you can actually introduce this to people, even as, as a youth, to have at least an understanding of it? Yeah, I think so. You know, I was talking to a professor in Salt Lake City. I don't know them. They were referred to me, and they're looking at trying to get exit rich into the colleges in Salt Lake City and into the high schools. I think, high, you know, I, look, my daughter's 10, and I'm teaching her about entrepreneurship right now. I never think it's too. The, the kids are too young to start teaching them about money and start teaching them about entrepreneurship and start teaching them about, like, you know, we were talking about before the show, if you take a million dollars and go buy a house, why don't you take that million dollars and go buy a business? Then you take that cash flow that that business throws off and use that cash flow to buy the house. Yes. Thank you for saying that. I've said that sometimes at, uh, I guess, cocktail parties, and it just, I just get a strange look in my face. Share with us. <laughs> no, I really do. Uh, what can you say succinctly and articulately that would get that point across to people, you think, without them going, oh, I don't believe what you're saying? I tell them to go, I tell them to go read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. <laughs> okay. The entire book is about, have you read the book? No, I haven't. I just went through the summary and the cliff notes of it, and I understand the quadrants. Yeah, so it was written by it was written by yeah. Robert Kiyosaki and my co-author Sharon Lecter, my co-author for Exit Rich, and it's all about you know Portas' philosophy is go to college, get a good job, retire, get in debt, <laughs> stay in debt. Rich Dad's philosophy is don't have a lot of assets, like you know you don't go buy a million dollar home, you don't go buy a uh, uh, you know, a hundred thousand dollar car, you use that money to buy investing property or investment properties, whether it's businesses, whether it's real estate, you know, whatever, whatever investment portfolio is best for you. And then you use that income, that residual income to go out and buy those assets that you want. What uh, with exit rich, do you want to share that we haven't talked about? Do you want me to finish the six P's or do you want me to no, you know, we'll catch it next show. No, I'm just kidding, <laughs> Michelle. No. <laughs> okay. No, please carry on. So then you got processes. So you got people, you got product, you got processes. Most businesses have broken processes. Most businesses don't even think about processes until they have to. Processes should always be designed from the beginning with the customer experience in mind. 
It's like, did you ever, ever watch the movie The Founder? Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Great movie. Great movie, right? Yeah. The McDonald's yes. brothers started McDonald's. Ray Kroc is the one who grew it into the empire that it is. But do you remember back in the 40s, McDonald's brothers said, we want to start a fast food restaurant because back then they only had Sonic-type drive-up restaurants. The food was always cold. The order was always wrong. It took so long. So McDonald's brothers said, here's my mission. Here's my vision. Here's my customer experience. I want the customers to get great tasting food that's hot, delivered fast, two minutes or less. How do we do that? How do we design the processes around this customer experience? Remember how they went out to the empty tennis court, took the truck, they drew all over the empty tennis court, took their employees. They practiced the process all day long until they figured out who takes the order, who toasts the buns, you know, who cooks the burgers. And those processes, even though they were designed back in 1940, those processes why you can eat at McDonald's anywhere in the world. How many times have you dealt with a company and they have a terrible process? Most and it's of the so time. frustrating. Did you say most of the time? Yes. Absolutely. Banks, yeah. PayPal, Facebook. <laughs> I mean, I can name them. <laughs> you know, the process is so crazy. My Facebook ha- account was hacked and they had stole, I don't know, thousands, one thousands of dollars. And I couldn't even get anybody on the phone because there was no number to call. I couldn't get anyone to respond to me. So you really should go into business and design your processes to enhance the customer experience, to create a wow experience instead of doing the opposite. And then obviously, you know, they should be efficient. They should be productive and they should be well-documented because every time a buyer is going to buy a business, they're going to make sure those policy and procedures are intact. Yeah. And then the other piece, please. Proprietary. So businesses are sold on a multiple of EBITDA. Sometimes a multiple, only SaaS companies could be sold for maybe a multiple of gross. Every other industry is never a multiple of gross. It's always a multiple of EBITDA. Earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. And the highest value driver, multiple value driver, is proprietary. So proprietary is huge. Proprietary will get you more money for your business than anything else. Number one is branding. The more well-branded your business is, the more money you're going to get for your business as long as your brand is relevant in the mind of the consumers. Nobody's paying any money for Blockbuster. So proprietary is huge. Trademarks are huge. Trademark your name. Trademark. We trademarked Exit Rich. Trademark your slogans. Trademarks are huge. But the mistake the business owners make is they go start a business in Texas. Let's say you start a business in Texas. They go and they get a state trademark. They never check the federal database to make sure it's available. They can be in business 10, 15, 20 years and receive a letter that they have to stop using that company name. So you got to get a federal trademark. Patents are big. We sold a company for $18 million. It wasn't making any money, but they had 18 patents. A million dollars a patent. Have you ever watched Shark Tank? What do the sharks always ask? Do you have a patent on that? Do you have a patent pending? Do you have a utility patent? So patents are huge. Also, the most valuable is contracts, vendor contracts, manufacturing contracts, distributor contracts, anything that's exclusive contracts. Client contracts are the most valuable of all, but here's the caveat with contracts. Most business owners never have the transferability clause in the contracts. 99.9% of all sales are asset sales, not stock sales. If those contracts don't transfer, then either the buyer's got to change their mind and do a stock sale. Most of them will not do that. Or we got to try to get um, the customers to agree to a transition service agreement and transfer the, the contract. So everybody needs to have the two sentence transferability clause in their contracts. 
We're selling a $70 million contract a company right now. They have 150 contracts and none of them are transferable. Wow. Let's return to that when we, uh, we get back. This is the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. Our acknowledgement today and our public service announcements is uh, with and for Make-A-Wish. The uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation, their uh, belief guides them in everything they do at Make-A-Wish. It inspires them to grant life-changing wishes for children going through so much and compels them to be creative in exceeding the expectations of every wish for a child. They also uh, give and provide donated resources that go uh, as far as possible. Most of all, it's the founding principle of their vision to grant the wish of every eligible child. That's their mission. And for more information, feel free to visit wish.org. Again, that's wish.org. We're talking today with Michelle Seller Tucker, founder and CEO of Seller Tucker Incorporated. For more information, feel free to visit the website of SellerTucker.com. Michelle, as I uh, abruptly interrupted for our station ID before you left off, Please, the the you know all the the peas with that you were you were working on, continue. Finish your peas. Okay, so finish your peas, please. <laughs> Don't put them in the napkin. <laughs> You're passionate about my peas, I see. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're found. They're foundational. Absolutely. So yeah. the other two things I wanted to say about proprietary is contracts are very valuable, and then databases. Databases are huge, especially if the clients, can, if your clients and your database can be repurposed and retargeted. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp, 19 billion. WhatsApp was hemorrhaging money, hemorrhaging. But they had, but buyers buy synergies. That's what, that's what business owners don't understand. Buyers buy synergies. Facebook paid 19 billion because, not because of the EBITDA, but because they had a billion users and they knew they could monetize. They knew they could ROI. So you really, if you build your IP, you will build your, your sales price and you can exit rich. The other two things in proprietary is, well, the other one thing is what I call IP real estate. And IP real estate, this is not your building. This is not your property. This is celebrity endorsements. Let's say you have a skincare line and Oprah Winfrey has endorsed it and you're on her favorite things. Or you have a diet pills and you know, Glenn Beck or whatever has endorsed it. Celebrity endorsements, radio endorsements, TV endorsements, and commercials, those are high, high value drivers for strategics and competitors. And they will pay more money for that. Also, platforms. So let's say that you're manufacturing furniture and you're number one on Wayfair, or you're number one on Amazon or, or Etsy. So having a huge following, being number one on any of these platforms, having celebrity endorsements, Strategists and competitors will pay top dollar for those types of businesses, those types of synergies. Michelle, is there a business that you don't see how they can improve their processes and their exit rich factor? No. Every business I can help. The only time I can't help a business is if the owner doesn't want help. Yeah. And I, that leads to this question is oftentimes, uh, I'll, I'll reference uh, the show, what's called The Profit, right? The, the show, The Profit. Yeah. With Marcus Lamonis on CBC. Yeah, uh-huh. Is invariably. I'm the sheep prophet. Well, what what I find so amazing, and I can't watch it because I can't sum it. It's a terrific show, but it's just my personal is the people obviously reached out to say, look, we're having help. We need your expertise and we're open. So they asked for it. He comes on and he makes his suggestions and uh, whatever his offers. And in almost, almost every single episode, and I don't think it's staged, 
because these are just people, they're not actors, is they get upset with one of his, his or his suggestions about here's what you really need to do. And they and they they have a tremendous amount of pushback. Yeah. What is that? Why is that, you think? Because it's so frustrating because I've run against that n- numerous times, not with just business owners I'm trying to partner with and trying to help, but also business owners whose business I'm trying to sell. Because entrepreneurs, look, you're not going to grow a business more than you can grow the person. You got to grow the person to be able to grow the business. So you got to grow them. I, f- I found that out with my own businesses that I'm partners with. I have this husband and wife that um, we kept, you know, butting heads, butting heads. We weren't really making, you know, any headway. We were just plateaued. And finally, I mean, I took him to a Tony Robbins conference. <laughs> I gave him some books. I did all kinds of stuff. And they have really grown exponentially. And now the business has grown ex- exponentially. So you really can't grow a business without growing the individual. These business owners are so emotional and so tied up in their business that they think of it as their baby instead of an asset. They're also control freaks. <laughs> and they think it's, you know, they think only their way works. Well, if their way was working, you wouldn't need Marcus Lemonis in the first place, right? <laughs> exactly. And so they're just, people don't like change. Entrepreneurs and business owners are, they don't like change. They like control. They're very slow to do anything differently. And like I said, you got to really work on growing the person before. How many times has he had conversations with them? Because, oh, they, you know, I remember there were three brothers or four brothers and they weren't getting along. And it was all this baggage because they lost their father. And then he gets into these deep seated, you know, conversations, deep rooted conversations of where this pain is coming from, where these emotions are coming from, because everybody has baggage, right? So a lot of people are making decisions based upon their baggage and based upon what they've went through and they're basing decisions on emotions, not logic. And they're sometimes too close to it. This is a question I didn't see coming. How do you help grow the person? What usually has to happen for them to grow? Well, first I take a hammer and hit them over the head. And then... You said it, not me. <laughs> yes. You know, the, the way I've done it with my partners is by introducing them to different things, introducing them to books to read, taking them to different conferences, you know, giving them different um, content to listen to when they're driving, like maybe Bob Proctor or, or somebody like that. And that's how you really grow a person and grow their mindset is by introducing them to to different content and you know, trying to get them outside of their comfort zone. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, it does. Michelle, what have we not talked about on your show today that you'd like to share? I'm giving you two more P's. So the fourth P, (laughs) (laughs) the fifth P is patrons, customer diversification. You cannot have a business without customer diversification. Most businesses fail in the United States because 80% of their business comes from 20% of their clients. And when they lose a couple of clients, they're out of business. And then the last P is profits. We all want to be profitable. And profits is never the problem though. It's always a symptom. I have clients that come to me all the time and say, Michelle, I have a profit problem. I'm like, no, you have a people problem. (laughs) Or no, you have a process issue. You know, it's always the problem, not the symptoms. Really? Wow. So we can go on and on with the show. Would you come back if we asked you to? No. 
Of course okay. I would. <laughs> <laughs> we are bantering like crazy on this show. <laughs> Our audience is like, what are these people doing? No, this, this is really because there's just so much. And uh, I, I believe this needs to be taught, not just at a university level, but begin at least starting high school. Probably. Yeah, then. I would say maybe but, junior high, high school for sure. Yeah. I don't know. You know, the, the younger you start, I think, teaching kids about entrepreneurship, teaching kids about money. I think the better it is, don't you? Yes, you I've know? done it with my uh, with my children. Although there's a, yeah, sometimes it's you can teach them that, but if they go into their peer group and their peers, their mindset is not used to that. It it sounds very like another language to them. Well, I think that's why you have to start very very young and ingrained in their brain. You know what entrepreneurship is, how to have the right mindset. And, you know, kind of try, I know it's hard to control who their peers are and who they hang out with, but, you know, like I always say, your network equals your net worth. And (laughs) it's it's that way with adults, it's that way with kids. And, you know, you want to make sure that your kids are hanging out with the right, the right, you know, (laughs) the right people that can influence them positively. I love this. You're right. Michelle, it's been a real honor and pleasure having you on our show today. Thank you very much. And again, I really am going to extend another invitation for you to be on because uh, I think it's great. It's valuable. Uh, I enjoy talking with you and uh, we'll see what we can do even to get uh, on the show. Thank you. With Stanford. You've been uh, listening to the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast. Our guest today has been Michelle Seiler Tucker, founder and CEO of Seiler Tucker Incorporated. Michelle holds the uh, Mergers and Acquisition Master's Intermediary title as a 20-year veteran in the M&A industry. She has a wealth of experience regarding buying, selling, fixing, and growing businesses. Her firm has sold over 1,000 businesses in almost every vertical and has a remarkable track record of success. In addition to being featured in Incorporate Magazine, Incorporated Magazine, Forbes and USA Magazine. Michelle is a keynote speaker and makes regular radio and TV appearances on Fox Business News and CNBC. For more information, feel free to visit SilerTucker.com. Again, that's SilerTucker.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another purpose-driven entrepreneur or high-performing game changer committed to ideas, positive outcomes, and a better world. I'm Tom Dior. The Entrepreneur's radio show and podcast is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and on location. The chief audio engineer is Eris Chikopoulos. Chief engineer is Mark Lawrence, and we are all assisted by Peter Caroline and Omar L. Sabrao. And the executive producer and host of The Entrepreneur's Show is Tom Dior. If you wish to contact us, our email is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu.